0: There are always moments when you're a speaker that you remember uh, throughout your history. Some of them are good, some of them you wish you didn't remember, but I remember one when I came off the platform years ago and I'm always interested in talking with people and normally they're asking questions about what you just said and quite often you didn't say that anyway, but they have a question. Well this particular Sunday I went down and a lady stopped me may I talk to you of course what is it she said I need to ask your forgiveness and she just stood there and I looked at her and I said well sure I forgive you she said but you don't know what for yet I said look the fact that you're asking forgiveness means that God has been dealing with you over whatever it is and it's been reconciled now and You're forgiven, so I forgive you. I don't need to know. That blew her away. She told me anyway. (laughs) But you know what? It raised another question in my mind. That's how easy forgiveness should be. It's not always that easy for me or for you. I know that because we harbor things and we don't always want to go where we should go. But here was the question that came to my mind. So if I can just say forgive you, I forgive you. I forgive you. Why couldn't Christ just say that without having to go to the cross? You know, what's the difference? What difference does the cross make? Why is it paramount? Well, today we're in the second part of a five-part series called Paramount, the Cross of Christ. Last week we talked about approaching it. Where did that cross come from as our emblem of our salvation and then today we're going to dive a little deeper into the heart of the cross. So welcome Mount Pleasant, welcome online viewers and worshipers, welcome Alma, glad to have everybody with us today. Let's dive in. The cross has one thing that happens apart from the death of Christ, apart from the payment for our sins. That only happens at that moment at the cross, at that point in history. It never happens again, never will. It's what has been called the supernatural collision of God's wrath and God's grace, His mercy, His love. That somehow wrath and love come together at the cross. And they're not confused or mingled or watered down. It's the full wrath of God and the full love of God being shown at the same time in the same place once and forever. Why was that necessary? It was necessary because of our sin. You see, you and I need to talk about sin. What is sin? (laughs) I'll get to that in just a minute. (laughs) little guy over here says no <laughs> that is such a great illustration <laughs> what is sin well the bible has lots of different definitions but there are five words used mostly and they have these meanings to them the first one is to miss the mark you've probably heard that before where you take that emblem of a target and you're shooting an arrow at it and the arrow is your life and it misses the target and they call that sin another one is unrighteousness well righteousness is when you're living according to the will and the work of God what he has destined us to do but unrighteousness is when you're actually going against that will of God degenerate You've seen people that you thought were just evil people and you call that degenerate. Hopefully that's not you. But you and I are transgressors. We transgress the law of God. We go against the law of God. And as a matter of fact, sometimes we are lawless. And I think that's the one that bothers me the most. I don't consider myself a guy who goes against the law, though I break God's law from time to time for sure. But I want to illustrate for you lawlessness. It happened at Sam's Club Gas. You Ever been to one of those? Everybody's supposed to go in the same direction, right? My gas tank's on the left. So I'm on this side, the pump's to my left. So the guys on the other side of the pump should be going the same direction I am and their gas tank's on the right. That's the way it works. That's how normal people who obey the law that's unwritten live. All right? So maybe I'm getting to a few of you. You know, don't do that. So I'm filling up my tank, and here he comes, the one guy that goes against the traffic, pulls in going the wrong direction. And I thought, well, this is not something worth dying for, so I'm not going to say anything. I'll just pray, you know, God make his engine break. (laughs) I didn't do that. But I thought, that's lawlessness. Do you know what that causes? First of all, all the other people who were in line now are facing somebody coming at them. And not only that, but that attracted another person to do the same thing. I left before the log jam hit because I knew what was going to happen. All of these cars are going the wrong direction. That's just not right. That's lawlessness. But that's who we are. That's sin. Back in the ancient days of the 11th century, there's a man who wrote a book. It was called, Why God, Man? In other words, why did Christ have to come as God and man? Why did he have to die on the cross? And here's what he said. To sin is to take away from God what is his own, which means to steal from him and so to dishonor him. If anybody imagines that God can simply forgive us In the same way that we are to forgive others, he has not yet considered the seriousness of sin. Being an inexcusable disobedience of God's known will, sin dishonors and insults him. And nothing is less tolerable than that the creature should take away from the creator the honor due him. That's one of the best definitions I've ever read of what you and I are doing. But it's because we share one common trait as sinners. We like to cross the line. See, God has drawn a line. That line is drawn from the scriptures where he has revealed to you and to me everything we need to know about faith and life and salvation, how to live. All the, the yeses and all the noes are in there. Do this, don't do this. They're all there. If not directly there, they are implied there. So that's his line. But unfortunately, you and I were born on the wrong side of the line. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that when I was created in my mother, my soul was created at that moment, and, and I was a sinner, not because I had yet done anything, but because my nature was one of sin, derived from the disobedience of the first couple God ever created, Adam and Eve, where they made a choice to cross the line. They made a choice to do something that was unrighteous. They made a choice to go against what God had told them to do. They missed the target by a mile. And as a result, that nature that became theirs, that sinful nature was passed down to you and to me. So we're born on that side of the line. And having been born on that side of the line, we have a propensity to want to stay on that side of the line. But all of our sin is a sin against God. I'm reminded of King David in the scriptures, where David has committed adultery with Bathsheba because she's married to Uriah, and then David says, well, she's expecting a child now, so I I need to cover this up, and so I'm going to send Uriah out into the front of the battle, and maybe he'll die there. Conspiracy to commit murder is what he did. So here he's a murderer. He's an adulterer. Then he hides it for a year. And yet God comes and forgives him. And look what David said. David doesn't say, I sinned against Bathsheba. I sinned against Uriah. No, here's what he says. Psalm 51, 4. Talking to God, he says, against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Bathsheba and Uriah and the baby that David and Bathsheba had that died almost immediately... They were consequences of David's sin. His sin was against God. Every time you and I make a choice to cross the line, we are stealing something from God. We are sinning. We are disobeying what God knows is best for us. And you know what? We have excuses for it, don't we? The first excuse is this, of three that I can think of. It's not my fault. How many of you had siblings growing up? Brothers and sisters. uh-huh. Did you blame them or did they blame you? Which way did it work in your family? I was the youngest. Somehow, I was the culprit every time. It didn't matter what happened. Wally did it. Not my fault. Wally did it. We try to excuse our sins. When God convicts me and I know that I've sinned my reaction is is that of Adam in the garden God says who told you that you had sinned that you had this problem he said the woman you gave me it's her fault and then Eve when asked the same question says the snake some wonder was she pointing at the snake or at Adam (laughs) not my fault not my fault no it's it's my lineage It was my parents' fault that I'm the way I am. Or, no, it's the community I grew up in. It was a terrible community to grow up in, and that's why I am the way I am. Or my teachers, they didn't educate me properly. It's their fault I'm that way. We can find a lot of people to blame. But we're dead wrong. And I'm playing on that word. Because if we try to excuse our own behaviors, it could lead to our spiritual death because we're not open to the work of the cross. The second excuse we often use, well, I thought I had the freedom to choose. Don't I have the freedom of will? Yeah, you do. You have the freedom to choose. You can choose anything you want to choose. A friend of mine used to say, you can choose whatever you want, just know this, every choice... As a consequence. So, if your choices are on the proper side of the line, then your consequences are going to be blessed. If your choices are on the wrong side of the line, then your consequences could be more terrible for you. I preach this at the last hour, and over in the kitchen they have snacks for us in between services so we keep our energy going. I walk in, and there is a chocolate muffin that was made by the daughter of one of our staff, and she actually had my name written in front of it. And I'm walking up there, I just preached about not crossing a line. It was really good. (laughs) I made a choice. (laughs) Now, I know there will be consequences to that choice, and I'm just talking about chocolate. So be careful the choices you make. We are free to make choices. It's not the freedom that's the problem, it's the choice. And when you make that wrong choice, you're really fighting against God. See, God has laid down the laws and said, if you follow these laws, you'll be fine and and your conscience will be okay. But if not, you're going to have trouble. Look what Paul said in Romans. Chapter 3, 19 and 20, he says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So all of these rules, this line that has been drawn... All of the rules that are on that line are to help us be aware of what's right and what's wrong with God. This is how he wants us to live. This is how he doesn't want us to live. That's why it's there. Jesus says in John chapter 8, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You and I are slaves to sin. We're born in slavery because we are subject to those laws. And no matter how many of the laws we actively obey, we can never obey all of them. We're just not made that way. And it's not God's fault. It's ours because of those choices we make to cross the line. So the law's not going to do us any good. But the Son on the cross did what was necessary to set you and me free. And that's where our freedom comes from. So what you need to do is consciously be aware of your sin. And then confess it to God. He will show you the way out of it. Don't misdiagnose your sin because when you misdiagnose sin you run the risk of spiritual death and terrible consequences. Our middle daughter Katie was a young child three or four years old and my wife called me when I was at work at the church and she said could you come take her to the doctor. She seems to not be feeling well and she said I have a lady coming for lunch today and I need to be with her. I said sure, not a problem. I ran over, I picked her up, took her to the doctor. The pediatrician that normally worked with her was not there, so another one came and saw her and said she has tonsillitis. Here's a prescription. This is what you need to do. So I thought, well that's great. I'm glad I could do this. Put her in the car seat. We drive back to the house. As I walk in, Linda has this lady for lunch because she's interviewing her to have her speak at an event at our church. This lady has a very interesting story. She is a registered nurse still practicing at that time. And she was one who had been stricken with multiple sclerosis. And her MS was so bad that to get from her upper level to her Main level, she had to sit on the steps and go down one at a time because she could not work her legs anymore. But God miraculously healed her. And she was there talking with Linda to get invited to speak. And I walked in with the baby and my wife said, so how is she? I said, oh, she's going to be fine. I said, she has tonsillitis. And this nurse stands up and looks at Katie and says, no, she doesn't. And you're going... Who is this? No, she doesn't. It's her lungs. Her lungs have a terrible problem. And, of course, we were polite. You know, thank you very much. (laughs) That evening, Linda is holding her in her arms, and she said, she's hardly breathing. She can't breathe. There's something else wrong. There was a doctor who attended our church, and he was the head of family practice at Providence Hospital in Detroit. I called him. I answered all of his questions. He said, it sounds like pneumonia to me. He called a 24-hour pharmacy, put in a prescription. I went, I picked it up, I came back, we gave it to her, and it began her healing process. If we had followed through on this misdiagnosis, she may not have made it. If you misdiagnose your sin, if you try to blame someone else, If you say you have the freedom to choose that, if you do these things, that misdiagnosis can lead you to terrible problems with God. So make sure it's diagnosed properly. So we talked about sin. Let's talk about God. A happier subject. God is holy, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Wow, he is all things to us. His holiness exposes your sin. His wrath opposes your sin. And his love erases your sin. Isn't that amazing? That's the heart of the cross. It exposes sin, it opposes sin, and it loves you by erasing that sin. God has done that just for us. He exposes sin that you already know about. I know where my sins are. It's not as though all of a sudden I go, Did I sin? (laughs) No, I know I did. I was there when it happened. But he exposes it by saying, I know it happened too. And I agree with him in confession. Yes, Lord. I know this wasn't right forgive me Now the wrath that he placed upon the cross on Jesus Christ then looks at my sin and pulls it out of me and nails it to that cross And then he turns to me and says my love now forgives you and I forget and I no longer remember Now wait a minute I don't have a God who's senile. I don't have a God who's losing the ability to remember. What does this mean? He forgets my sins. It actually means this. He never brings them up against me again. See, you know you've had to forgive others. You don't forget what they did, do you? But here's the key. If you bring it up again... Uh, Maybe you gave limited forgiveness. Because if you're doing it God's way, God says, I am not going to bring that up against you again. Why? Because I took it and put it on Jesus. So your sin's not there anymore. Well, you are, and you're continuing to sin, but you're confessing those sins, and I have paid for all of those sins. Wow. What a God we serve. What a, a mighty God. We need to rethink our approaching God. You know, he's, he is approachable as we go to him in prayer because of what Christ accomplished. But you read about the God of the Old and the New Testament. What you're going to find is a God who says, take off your shoes when you're my presence because I'm on holy ground. There's something about man not being able to get into the presence of God. They were all afraid that if they saw God, they would perish and they would have. One man sees the Ark of the Covenant tilting. He reaches up to grab it to put it back, and God kills him. Doesn't seem right, does it? No, but you don't approach holiness. We're not allowed to. The only way we can approach God is through Jesus Christ. So we take off our shoes spiritually in his presence to worship him. We remove the, the veils over our hearts. God designed the cross with you and with me in mind. That's overwhelming. We are all his children. He knows each one of us, loves us more than anyone has ever loved us. And he put himself on the cross to do it. One person said this, the cross is the only place where the loving, forgiving, and merciful God is revealed so that we see His holiness and His love equally infinite. There's that supernatural collision. This is where we see the wrath of God coming upon Jesus Christ and the love of God coming upon Jesus Christ. And here we are as a part of it. Why? Because we need a substitute. If we can't go into the presence of God and offer something, we need something that will work. Something that will take away our sin. From the very beginning of time, back in that Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were covered, after they were forgiven, by the skin of an animal. Where did the animal come from? It was in the garden. It was spotless, it was without blemish, and God sacrificed it to be able to cover Adam and Eve. Throughout the Old Testament, sacrifices took place. You know how often? Every single day, every week, every month, annually, and occasionally. They had so many sacrifices to offer, but they were basically in two categories. The first was an act of worship because we want the protection of God. So we want to worship him. So they would bring fellowship offerings and peace offerings. And they would worship God and and thank him for his protection from other nations. What they didn't realize it was also protection from themselves and their own sinful natures. And the second kind was an act of repentance. Repentance. Where they would come not only wanting protection, but wanting pardon. Where they would come into his presence and they would offer guilt offerings. And all types of offerings that signified a payment for sin. So just imagine if you can for a moment, the priests are standing there and all day long, from morning till evening, people are coming with their animals and they're offering one of these two or both kinds of sacrifices laid out in five or six different manners and blood is being shed on a day-to-day basis for their forgiveness and blood is being put on a goat that's sent out into the wilderness called the scapegoat so that he takes our sins away from us. This was all symbolism, this act of worship and act of repentance. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says this, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, now, wait a minute. Why then, for all of those years, did all of those sacrifices take place? They were pointing toward the reality. They were pointing toward that time, that day, that place, when God himself would offer himself as the sacrifice, and he would do it on the cross. Hebrews 9.22 says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. But he's already said, but the blood of animals doesn't cut it. So it has to be the blood of God. The very blood of the God-man is shed so that our sins can be forgiven. And then 1 Peter 2.24 tops it off. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. God drew a line that Jesus never crossed. He was tempted in every way, just like we have been, but he never crossed the line. And yet he was held accountable as though he had lived all of his life on the opposite side of the line. He became sin so that he saw your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin and all of our sins and all of these were compiled as one for the whole world. I can't imagine the weight of that spiritually and placed upon Christ. And there he was. God satisfied the demands of his righteousness by giving to us a substitute who stands in our place therefore offering the satisfaction that God requires. So here's the question. Why did Christ have to die? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? Because without the shedding of blood, the blood of God, there's no forgiveness. And yet he forgave. That's the heart of the cross. So here's what I want you to do now. In these next few moments, we're going to worship. are going to do it quietly while you're seated. But I want you to close your eyes and picture the cross with Christ on it. I know he's not on there anymore, but just think about it like that for a moment. And then think about his invitation where he says, Now, come to me and hand me all your sins. Come to me and hand me your nature. I'm going to clean it up for you, and I'll give it back. Sit silently and rest in that for a minute and make sure that you are right with God. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness.